Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Stouffville Pentecostal Church audio podcast. We are at the conclusion of our new series, Getting Over It. Pastor Jeff is speaking this week, Getting Over It, Getting Over Discouragement. Have a listen. Getting Over It, part four. Here we are. We have looked at uh, getting over anger, um, getting over doubt. That's that was number two. And number three was getting over, well, you tell me. What was last week? Yes. Karen, you're sharp. Yeah. And welcome back home. Yeah. Um, and today... You threw me off now. And then number four is today, getting over discouragement. We're going to talk about discouragement today. You know, we all face it. We all have times in our lives when we're discouraged. And kids, you can leave. If I didn't say that, I'm sorry, you can leave. And um, not, not leave, leave. Like, don't leave the building, but just leave and go to the, go to the left there. Um, or right, I guess, as you're walking out. Uh, no, left, still left. I'm facing the wrong way. You know, uh, by the way, um, all joking aside, uh, Pastor Lori wasn't feeling that well today. So just, uh, just uh, so Lord, touch her in Jesus' name and uh, may nothing, nothing, nothing be seriously wrong. And low. So we just, we just give her to you, Lord, and uh, ask you to touch her and to be with her now in Jesus' name. Just got taken down to the hospital to get checked out. So we just... Uh, just pray. We'll give you an update when we know one, but um, that's what's going on. So we all face times of discouragement, and uh, believers in Jesus, we know that we're not immune. We, we've all had it. We, we all probably will still have some, and it's not just us. You know, times of discouragement have, it's really been going on since the beginning of time. Many great people, men and women, many great characters of the Bible have struggled with discouragement as well. Uh, the list is really, really long. When you're talking about discouragement, you could pick a number of uh, people in the Bible and, and sort of do a case study on it. But today, I want to look at, um, and we'll just read chunks of it because the story is quite long, but in 1 Kings chapter 19, we see a time in the life of the prophet Elijah, um, who, by the way, is maybe arguably one of, if not the greatest prophet, one of the greatest prophets uh, who ever was. Um, even Elijah, the great prophet, was struggling with discouragement. He was really down. He was really afraid. It was really an issue. Here's the beginning of the story. First uh, Kings 19, put it up for me. It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the gods strike me and even kill me, if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. This is not one of the high 
moments in Elijah's life. You know what I'm saying? Ahab and Jezebel, just uh, you can, uh, the story is long again, but if you want to get all the details, you look back into 1 Kings and start reading about chapter 18 and into 19 and forward, and you'll, you'll see the whole story. But basically, the short version is Ahab is the king and Jezebel is his wife, and they were both evil. Jezebel in particular uh, was particularly evil. And they were furious, furious with Elijah because in chapter uh, 18, he had just challenged the prophets of Baal to see whose God would answer their prayer by fire and to, and to burn up the sacrifice. They both built a sacrifice uh, of stone and put, uh, put the animal on it. And it said, Whoever, uh, who, whosever God answers by fire is the true God. And so the Baal, the Baal prophets prayed all day. They were cutting themselves, slashing, screaming, yelling. They failed miserably. Shocking, shocking that they failed miserably. They failed miserably. And then they were all killed after Elijah prayed and the Lord sent down fire, such fire that he was so confident that the fire would come that he had the whole thing doused with water three times. They took these jugs of water and poured it all over the wood and all over the sacrifice. And he said, yeah, do it again. Do it again. That's, that's nothing. Do it again. Do it again. Three times. So much so that they, there's water everywhere. There was like a trench of water all around this thing, soaked. And he says, Lord, show yourself. And boom, fire falls from heaven. And the sacrifice is burnt up. The water is burnt up. It says even the rocks were gone that God just came down and boom, right? And, uh, and then all the prophets of Baal were killed. And, um, and Ahab and Elijah were very, uh, they were very much pagans and very much anti-God. And when Ahab told Jezebel, as we just read, what had happened, she threatened Elijah uh, with his life. And so in these verses and in these chapters, you actually see Elijah at sort of his high point and probably at the lowest point of his entire life. He, this was a man, when I said he was a great prophet, like I'm not exaggerating, this was a man who, who through the power of God stopped the rain from falling and said, it will not fall again until I give the word. That's what he said. It's incredible. Just imagine saying that right? He says, it's not going to rain again until I say it will rain again. He calls down fire from heaven. By the way, not just in this moment in 19 to burn up the sacrifice. He called down fire from heaven multiple times in his life. And you can read it into going into second king. He, he, he did it multiple times. He fed a widow and her son with this everlasting supply of oil and flour. She thought she was going to die. She said, I have enough food for one more meal, and then my son and I will die. And Elijah basically says, oh, no, you don't. Every day you go and pour a little oil and dig out a little flour, and you'll always have enough. And, and she always did. It never, ever ran out. It was, an, it was an amazing miracle. He raised the dead, okay? This little boy, this widow's son died, and Elijah raises him from the dead. He takes his cloak at another time, and he hits the water of the Jordan River, and the Jordan River parts, and he walks across on dry ground. And 
one of my favorites. God gave him super speed. He gave him super speed and he ran like he was the flash. It was unbelievable. You could read the story. And this guy was unbelievable. One of the greatest prophets. He was uh, uh, just so connected to God. He was faithful. He was powerfully anointed for service. He was not afraid to face the 450 prophets of Baal. But one mean woman causes him to run for his life. I don't know what kind of lessons are in that. I'll let you think about it yourself. But He runs for his life. All the things that he's done, all the trouble that he had, all the, just all the opposition that he faced. But in this moment, after one of his greatest, highest things, this, this, this wonderful, powerful God mountaintop experience where the fire of God comes, he stands as a man of faith, so sure that God's going to answer, he says, dump water on it dump water on it. He, he stood there with this faith knowing that God was going to show up. He wasn't afraid at all to take on anyone who would stand up against God. But yet, after this great mountaintop experience, he runs for his life when Jezebel threatens him. Now, it's true, and, and I think you'll all, you'll all get this, because I think it's probably all happened to us on some level. You know, it's true so often that after great victories, uh, uh, can, uh, great victories can be immediately followed by a time of testing. Have you ever found that to be true in your life? That you feel like you've just made progress with God or you've had this great encounter with Jesus or you just have been so wonderfully blessed at a service or in a group or in a conversation and something so positive has happened in your life and then it's literally the next day, something very, very difficult comes your way. This is what happened to him. He has an amazing experience, and yet it's immediately followed by a time of testing. You know, you can move from a mountaintop experience with God to fear and discouragement so quickly, so quickly. Elijah is no different than us. We can have it happen to us, and we need to be prepared when you understand that when you're in, you know, you're in this moment, you're in the presence of God, something great happens. You know what happens when you're at the top of the mountain? There's only one direction that you're going to go from there. Down, right? And so as we come off of these wondrous advancements and these, in, in these moments of, of, of being touched and encouraged by the presence of the Lord, we need to get ready for the time of testing might be right around the corner. So when you do something, honestly, that strengthens the kingdom of God, you've got to get ready for the enemy to come and throw you off track because you've just done something significant. And as they say, you know, you can measure the kick you gave by the kick you get back. And, and it's very, very true. Oftentimes, when you do something for God, when you make progress in your life, the enemy's not happy, and there will be something right around the corner that will try to throw you off track. So Elijah's discouragement was real. He wasn't, it wasn't pretend. He wasn't just being, you know, uh, 
like a, a baby, or, or he wasn't being, he, he, he was truly, truly afraid. He was truly discouraged to the point where he said, Lord, just take me. Like, I'm ready to go. Just get me out of here. I'm all alone. I'm done. Get me out. I find it amazing that he says, like, take me, because Elijah's the guy that actually never died, right? Did you know that? Um, he never died. So he, he says here, I'm so down, I'm so, I'm so discouraged, just take me, Lord, you know. And uh, uh, not only did he not die, but the Lord encouraged him, put him on the right track, and he finished well and strong. And that one great day, as Elisha watched, the chariots of fire come, come down, pick up Elijah, and poof, off he goes to heaven. Not a bad way to go, if, you, if I must say, you know, um, but this moment in his life, he's really, really discouraged. And I found it interesting how God worked in his life to bring him back out of it. He kind of climbed out of the pit. He, he, he removed the weight. He, he got Elijah back on track. And it, it was just, I find it's an interesting study, and I wanted to share some of my thoughts with you today. The Lord does it with such compassion, with such gentleness, and he strengthens him, and he helps him to get over it. And um, it's amazing. Like, he doesn't one time say, Elijah, get off your butt. Stop moaning. Stop whining. He doesn't, like, kick him. He, he's, he's like, no, he's, like, gentle and soft and, and, and so helpful. Like, look at this. The first thing that he does to get Elijah back on track was he actually gave him rest and food. Um, look, first uh, Kings 19, 5 to 8. He says, so he lays down and, he, and, uh, and slept under this broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. So the first thing that he does, he runs, uh, Jezebel says, I'm, I'm coming to kill you. He drops off his servant, and he takes off into the desert, and he, he collapses under a broom tree, and he complains to the Lord that he's so down that he's just ready to be taken home. And the first thing God does is he gives him rest. And I think it's kind of significant. It's not a small point that he's physically tired. He's emotionally drained. He has just gone through an incredible, powerful encounter where the forces of evil are all around him and he stands you know, against the prophets of Baal and he sees God come through. Um, you know that when you're tired, when you're drained, when you're hungry everything seems worse, you know, like, you know, you're hangry. You're never the same until the Mars bar is given or whatever that commercial is, you know. But he, he's exhausted. He's really drained and not, not just physically. He's, yes, he's physically tired. He's, he's hungry, but he's really, really drained. He's emotionally drained. There has been a lot that has come out of him. He's given a lot. And it just reminded me that we all need some time, all of us, to recharge physically. 
We need some time to recharge mentally and emotionally and spiritually. If we don't have it, discouragement sets in. And if we keep going without getting some rest and some refreshment, guess what happens? The discouragement gets deeper. The pit feels, you know, uh, the, the pit feels darker. There's, it's just, it's a terrible time to try to make a decision. It's a terrible time to try to do anything productive when you're emotionally drained and physically exhausted. It's just a, a, just a horrible time to do anything. And, you know, Jesus did this too, by the way. Yes, he was God, but he was also man, and he worked with 12 disciples, and they were all just normal people like us who needed time away. Jesus took off many times to pray and to recharge and to focus and just to be in the presence of the Lord. He also did this. Look at Mark chapter 6. This is one example. Um, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. And then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So he's saying, guys, if we don't get some rest, if we don't recharge physically, emotionally, spiritually, we're not going to be at our best. It opens up a door for the enemy to do bad stuff in us, and it's time that we need to get away. We've been busy, really busy, and we've been giving a lot. We've been used by the Holy Spirit a lot, but now we need time to get away. So I see that as almost like this beginning step to getting over discouragement. If you're feeling you know, uh, heavy and discouraged, I, I would suggest to you that you need to take some time off you need to have a good night's sleep and a nice meal. And you know how everything seems better in the morning? You've all had days, me too, where you come home and the problem that you're facing looks so overwhelming that you, it's just so discouraging and so dark and so heavy. And, but yet, if, if I have a nice meal and I, and I get a good night's rest, sometimes I wake up in the morning and you're just better prepared to take on the day. Amen? Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me many times. And so I think it's a first step, just a practical first step. And you see God doing that with Elijah. He's saying he's tired, he's hungry, he's exhausted, he's drained. He needs to rest and he needs some food. I bet you that bread, by the way, that was delivered on those stones was the greatest bread he's ever eaten in his life. Just saying. I don't know what it was, but... It, it was enough to cause the man to go 40 days without food. That's some bread. You know what I'm saying? So it's this first step to getting over it. The second thing you see is that God wanted Elijah to spend time in his presence. It's, it's, the, it's another way that he was rebooting him and, and helping him to get out of the discouraged uh, mentality that he was in. Look at uh, verse 9, 1 Kings 19. Verse 9 says, then, so he runs to Mount Sinai, and then he comes to a cave where he spends the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. 
And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, uh, or after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I just find that such an interesting exchange. Elijah goes to Mount Sinai. And by the way, Mount Sinai is a special place. It's, it's called the mountain of God. It was this unique place where God's presence was. It's the same place where Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments. It was, it was a holy place. It was a place known to have um, the presence of God, the mountain of God, it was called. So um, time in God's presence, here's the point. Time in God's presence is a powerful antidepressant. So just always Always remember that. Time in God's presence is a powerful, natural antidepressant. It was the mountain of God that, uh, that Elijah begins to turn around. That in his presence, what does the Bible say? There is fullness of what? Say it with me. Joy. So when you walk into his presence, when you're surrounded with perfect, absolutely perfect, perfect, pristine joy. Guess what happens? Discouragement begins to lift, right? Come on, amen, right? Like in his presence, burdens get lighter. Um, new strength is received. New courage is given. New insight is birthed in our minds. We are refreshed. We are refueled when we spend time in the presence of the Almighty. It's a powerful antidepressant. And he wanted Elijah to spend some time with him. Being in his presence, folks, it's something that we so badly, badly need. I don't care who you are or how long you've served God or how strong you think you are. All of us need time in the presence of the master. All of us need it. Paul was so clear in Ephesians chapter 5. He said, be filled. Or what, he's, what the, the word, the Greek there is really saying, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is he saying that? Because he knows that we all need regular times of filling. Like I've said before, like we're vessels, but we leak. And so we, we got to keep going to the gas station to get filled up again. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We need regular times in His presence. He is the one who's the lifter of our heads. In Him, there is joy. In Him, there is no darkness at all. He is the one who lifts discouragement from us. You can't stay in His presence without feeling better. That's just truth today. Even in our service, 
when we're standing here singing songs and we're welcoming the presence of God, how many times have you felt better just singing a song? Amen? How many times have you felt better just feeling the presence of the Lord? Nothing's changed. You haven't been given any massive revelation, but just being in His presence does something to us. It adds strength to our soul. It adds resolve and courage. It gives us this time of refreshing that we need. We have to spend time in His presence. This is why coming to church, being together, reading the Word, you know, inputting good things into your life, it's all important for us. It doesn't matter who we are or how long we've served God. We all, at, from time to time, are going to be drained and we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he says, Elijah, come on now, spend time in his presence. And then here's the other thing. These are like steps to, to, that I see God doing in Elijah, steps to get him out of his discouragement. So one, he gives him rest. Two, he, he gives him time in his presence. And third, it's very interesting, he asks Elijah twice, twice, what are you doing here? Twice. Like as if he doesn't know, right? What's he, what's he doing? He's asking Elijah to actually pour out his heart. He's inviting him to give him the burden. He's inviting him to just vocalize everything that he's feeling Dump it out, dump it out, give it to me. He seems to want Elijah to vocalize about, just to, to, to actually vocalize what he's thinking, what he's feeling. And it, it, it was, to me, it reminds us all that when we're afraid, when we're discouraged, you know, just even in the natural, when you're having a bad day and you call up a good friend and they don't solve your problem, but just talking to them, right? Just being able to talk to somebody and get it all out. You know, men try to solve the problem. Women just want to talk it all out, you know. But just talk it all out makes everybody feel better. You know, it's, it's, there's something about pouring out our heart and getting it out that helps us to take a step forward, that we're not holding it in. He wants Elijah. He invites him, pour out your heart to me. What are you doing here? Tell me. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Why are you here? What's caused you to, to come here? What are the issues in your life? Why are you feeling the way you're feeling? What are you doing here? Talk to me. Tell me about it. He is inviting him twice. It's therapeutic to talk it out. It's therapeutic to give it to the Lord, right? Um, it, it, God is ready to listen. Imagine, um, it's not... Um, Give your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Isn't that an old song? Uh, I need Peter. Peter, where are you? You're watching at home. Or George. Isn't it like, uh, uh, leave it there, leave it there. Give your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Something like that. Did it, did it, trust and never doubt. It would surely set it out, right? Something? Come on, help me, help me. Uh, Give your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Something like that, right? That's the spot. Pour out your heart to Him. He invites us to do so. Look at what the psalmist said in Psalm 62, verse 8. All my people, trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. 
When you're feeling discouraged, when you're in a bad place, pour out your heart to Jesus. You'll find him always ready to listen. And after you dump it all into his lap, somehow you'll feel better. You'll feel stronger. You've given your burden to the Lord and you can leave it there. So he's, he gives Elijah rest. He, he gives him an opportunity to spend time in his presence. He allows him to pour out his heart of his questions, of his pain, of his discouragement, of what he's thinking and feeling. He allows that. And, and here's what he does next. He, he deals with the wrong thinking, the wrong beliefs that Elijah has that's causing him to feel the discouragement that he's feeling. Look at um, 1 Kings 19.14. He says, he replied again. Here's again, this is the second time. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So here's the thing. Jesus said very clearly that the truth will set you free. Free. So believing things that are not true can lead us down a path into discouragement. Something you believe is true and then you discover it's not true can be very discouraging. So, and then vice versa. Sometimes when you believe something that's not true and, and then you find out that it actually is, it can add some strength to you. So here's the, here's the issue. Twice God says, what are you doing here? What's going on? Elijah basically says, I am all alone. I am all alone and nothing's going right. Everyone's gone. They've killed everybody and now they're coming after me. He thinks he's all alone. So this is wrong thinking. He's not alone, first of all, and we'll find out in just a second, but he's not alone. But it points to wrong thinking about God. You see, because when, when, when he's saying all of this, what's, what, is, what his heart's really communicating, I believe, is this. It's like, God, you're not handling your business very well. You're not helping me very much. You're not showing up here. Like, hello, I'm all alone. She wants to kill me. What are you doing? Where are you? I, I, I need you to handle this. He seems to be wondering why God isn't doing more. Why isn't he doing enough to help? Like, I'm alone. The people have killed the prophets. Now they're coming for me. Where are you, God? What are you doing about this? It is, it is, it is so, uh, uh, this heavy threat is on me, and you're, you've just abandoned me. This is how he feels. And you see, if you start to feel that you're alone, if you start to feel that you're abandoned by God, guess what's around the corner? Discouragement. It will bum you out big time. If you think you're alone and abandoned, discouragement is crouching at your door. But the fact was, is he wasn't alone. This is what God says in uh, 1 Kings 19.18. He says this, Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. So, hey, Elijah, you're actually not alone. There are 7,000 others. 
and I have been watching you, and I have been saving you, and I have been saving others and putting others aside. I have been busy. I have been doing my will and doing things. In fact, I have it all under control. You're not alone. You never have been alone. I am going to do what I want to do. This is not the disaster that you think it is, Elijah. See, and then in this, in this uh, experience that he has, he gives him a fresh revelation of how awesome he really is. Like, think about it. Why does God send a mighty wind that's so strong it says that it tears rocks loose from the mountain? Why does he do it? Why does he shake the ground under Elijah's feet? Why does he send a mighty fire that sweeps across the mountain that Elijah can watch? Why does he do all that? multiple reasons, but here's a basic one. The Lord is reminding him who he is. He's reminding him who he is. Listen, I'm the God who just sent down fire. I'm the God who caused the Jordan to part. I'm the God who, wrote, you know, who through your prayers, saw the little boy rise from the dead. I'm the God who's been doing all that. I'm the God that gave you super speed. I'm the God who controls nature. Everything is at my command. And he reminds him that he is great and that there's no other God like him. Nobody can do what he can do. He can turn that mountain into a pile of dust at the snap of a finger. This is the God that you're serving. So listen, you don't have anything to fear from Jezebel. Yes, she's evil, but don't worry. I'm going to deal with her when the time comes, right? The great I am is reminding Elijah whose team he was on because for a moment he forgot. For a moment he thought he was alone. For a moment he thought maybe God had abandoned him, that all the wondrous things that God had done, he, 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 he was not going to do anymore. And God reminds him about how awesome he really, really is. It's incredible, you know, that he's so afraid and he's so discouraged it just shocks me because I see it in me and I see it in all of us. You would think that after all the things that he had seen, all the things that he knew were true, all the things that he believed about God, and yet they're abandoned in a moment when one evil woman threatens him. It's amazing how fast we can turn. Isn't that true? It's shocking. And this is exactly what happened to him. You know, we have a good, good father who never leaves us, who's always with us, and who's always cheering us on. We are on Team Jesus, and it's a team that never loses. You know, we also have each other when you're feeling alone, when you're feeling discouraged. Yes, it's time, and it's good to spend time in his presence, the other thing that discouragement does is it makes us feel alone, like it really does. I mean, just physically alone, like nobody can understand what I'm going through. Nobody's experienced what I'm experiencing. But here's the thing. We have each other. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are better and we are stronger when we're together. See, Elijah had other prophets. He just wasn't he just wasn't thinking about it. 
And we have, listen, when you're going through something tough, you have brothers and sisters in Christ. We can draw strength from each other. And so one of the mistakes I see people making when they're walking through a discouraging time is they retreat. They withdraw from fellowship. They stop coming to church. They, they don't go to small group. They, they just they, they, they cocoon all in their house. And like, like somehow that's the way that they're going to get over it. And it's a mistake to withdraw from fellowshipping with each other. You know, in times of discouragement, I would propose to you that it's even more crucial to be in God's presence and to be in the presence of other believers. Jesus, I mean, God said it right from the beginning when he looked at Adam, he said, it's not good that you're alone. And discouragement does that to us. I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling dark. What am I going to do? I'm going to run home. I'm going to close my door and I'm not coming out. And all that happens is the darkness begins to grow. We must understand that it's a wrong belief to believe that. We have to have to deal with the truth that we know is real. Jesus said the truth will set you free. It is so clear in Scripture that His presence is, is, is something that lifts our discouragement. We know that spending time with good people who encourage us, pray for us, support us, talk to us, even if they don't solve your problem, just talking to somebody is a beautiful way to relieve yourself of some pressure. It's not good to be alone. It's a wrong belief to think that you're better off alone and you're, you can handle it better alone. It's not true. So be encouraged today. Elijah learned that day. So God, God digs him out of this pit of discouragement by giving him some physical rest. He gives him time in his presence. He asks Elijah to pour out his heart to him and allows him to say what's on his mind. He deals with these wrong beliefs that Elijah's thinking that's causing him to be discouraged. And lastly, he puts Elijah back to work, which is kind of neat. Look at uh, 1 Kings 19, 15. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus where you arrived there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram. And, and then it goes on. And there was other things. And then you're going to do Jehu. Then you're going to do this. Then you're going to do this. And he lays out these various steps that he wants Elijah to take. And it, so this is it. So he says to him, listen, okay, here we are. I've given you rest. I've given you time in my presence. I've let you pour out your heart to me. I've corrected your wrong beliefs. And now, guess what time it is? Time to go back to work, son. Time for you to get up. Time for you to get strong. Time for you to put your shoes on. Time for you to get serving again. It's time. It's amazing. God tells him to go back. Go back the same way. Just go right back the same way you came and start getting busy. I got stuff left for you to do. Your time has not yet come. You know, it's time. It's like it's time to change your focus, Elijah. It's time to stop being consumed with yourself and with your own pity party. It's time to get back to serving. It's time to put your eyes on others. It, it, it's amazing what that does for you. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Uh, I think it was uh, Carl Menager, who was a famous psychiatrist years ago. He was asked about overcoming 
discouragement and what was the best advice that he could give people who were struggling with this. And these are the words. Here's the quote. He says, lock up your house, go across the railroad tracks, find someone in need and help that person. To overcome discouragement, don't focus on yourself, but get involved in the lives of other people. That's what he said. Here's his number one step to getting over discouragement. He doesn't say, do this, do that, take this, do that, go. No, he says, listen, put your boots on, lock your door, find someone who is worse off than you or just someone who needs some help and go help them and see what that does for you. It's amazing what it does for you. Amen? You, you, we all know this intuitively. When we take our eyes off of our problems and start to help somebody else, it works. It really works. It, you know why? I think it's just, it reminds us all of how blessed we really are. It reminds us again of maybe how small my problems are compared to the problems that other people faces, face. And it always encourages you when you are an encouragement to somebody else. It works every time. When someone comes to your mind and, and you call somebody, it's happened to me so many times, and, and I know you all, this happened to you. Well, you call somebody or you meet for a coffee or you, you, know, you, or you have somebody come in and have a chat, whatever it is. You, I call up somebody and I say, hey, hey, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Jones, you were just on my mind today. And I just wanted you to know God loves you. Anything, you know, blah, blah, blah. You have a chat and you, you know, things are going to be all right. I'm praying for you. We're with you. God's with you. The church is with you. You know, don't be discouraged. You have this little five minute chat you know, and then you hang up and you don't think about it again. And a couple weeks later, Mr. Jones calls you or bumps into you somewhere in the lobby of the church or calls you up, sends you an email and says, hey, I just want you to know that that five-minute call, it really helped me so much. I just want you to know I was, in a, I was just in, a, in a, bad, a bad place. I was having a bad day. And just you encouraging me, you know, it really, really helped me. And guess what that does for me? Makes me feel better too, right? I'm encouraged because I encouraged him. He's encouraged because he received the encouragement from me. Everybody wins. The devil loses. We are better together, right? So this is such, I, I know it's, this, this is not rocket science. It's very, very basic. But I think sometimes we overcomplicate this. If, if, if you're discouraged, right, there's steps to take. Get some rest. Spend time in his presence. Pour out your heart to him. He's not afraid. He's, he's not intimidated by, by you dumping your issues onto him. He, he invites you to do it. He wants to help you understand and to deal with any wrong belief, any wrong kind of thinking that might be keeping you trapped in this place. And then when all of these things are done, he then says to Elijah and he says to us, now it's time, son, daughter. Put your shoes on, lock the door, and go and go get busy for the kingdom of God. Go do something. Go make a difference in the life of somebody else. And when you do, you'll find yourself feeling better. You'll be encouraged. You'll be strengthened. So it's, it's a very basic thing that, he's, that he does here, this, this thing, this sort of pattern that he walks Elijah through. But it really worked. So I, I'm here today to encourage us all. If you feel discouraged, there's a way out. There's a way to get over it. You can get over it. You can get through it. Don't let the devil 
keep you in a place of discouragement. Don't let him weave into your brain negative and wrongful thoughts that you know are not true about God, not true about your pastor and your church, not true about your friends and your family. You are not alone. You are loved. You are cared for. And there are people who are ready to help you in any way possible. Don't let the devil keep you there. Elijah was afraid. He was tired. He was discouraged. But the Lord restored him back to a healthier place. And he lifted this heavy load off of his back. He met Elijah's physical needs. He revealed his greatness to him in a fresh way. He reminded him that he was not alone. He corrected his bad thinking. And then he put him back to work. To serve faithfully, by the way, and uh, till the day that the chariot arrived and, and Elijah left and finished very, very well. And it just hit me as I was looking at this story again. He can do the same for us. He takes Elijah from a place of discouragement and he, he, he basically heals him, puts him back on the road and gets him back you know, in the place where he needs to be. And he can do the same for us. He can do the same for you. He can do the same for you if you're at home today. Jesus is still Jesus. <laughs> the Almighty is still the Almighty. He can still take a mountain and turn it into a ball of dust at the snap of His finger. He still loves you, and He still wants to encourage you and to have you move forward in God for the truth, the truth sets you free. The truth sets you free. And the truth is, is that you're loved, forgiven, and given hope and a future. That's who he is, and that's what he's done. Come on, say it out loud with me. And his name is... Jesus. You've been listening to the Stovall Pentecostal Church audio podcast. For more information about Stovall Pentecostal Church, please visit our website at www.spcfamily.ca. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you tune in next week.